everyone. Welcome to One Shared Brain Cell. We are the alternative podcast for torrentula keepers and their acquaintances. Yes. and the and Not the keepers' acquaintances, the animals, torrentula acquaintances. The eight-legged and legless acquaintances. Tarantula adjacent. Inclusive is what we are. With <laughs> Tarantulas and Jasons. We're, yeah, very, very much inclusive. <laughs> Although we don't accept Kyle's. Kyle's can go shove it. Yeah, fun fact. Um, you gave me a tarantula called Kyle and he is a Satan. <laughs> See, I fucking knew it. Drinks That's why he got that name. Yeah. <laughs> He's always been a twat. True. Right. So this week I am joined by Rich Newell off of the Tarantula family. Hi. Hi. Uh, so disruptive to my flow. Um, then no, we. I think flow's mine. I think yours is Morgan. Nice. Yeah. Then we are joined by Leah off of Glorified Pet Rocks. Hello there. Hi, Leah. And <laughs> this week we are joined by the formidable, legendary Phil Barber of Incredible Invert underscore Other Animals. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> well, so welcome, Phil. We are so happy to have you here. You we have really been mentioned, are, yeah. You have been mentioned on this podcast before <laughs> and you are finally here. Yeah, so I, I don't think there's like many like... I don't. I hate the word influencers, but but like major key figures in the UK scene. But I always think of Phil as one of them. Do you know what? I've just had the thought. This just dawned on me as well. It just came to me then. I feel like we've got like like a grown up on. You know, like I guess they've been <laughs> fabulous, but they they, they like, like Phil has a sort of a, like a sort of a, a weightiness to his presence. Yes. I'm like yeah, shit, it's Phil. I better behave. I know. Do you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> like better not say tarantula yeah. when I mean my gallimorph. <laughs> <laughs> Better not say bioactive when I mean naturalistic. Like planted. <laughs> like planted, yeah. I got that, I, which, which I like because it keeps us in check. It makes us makes us stop and think what we're going to say. Like, am I going to... No, gonna, I love it. Yeah, am I going to ridicule myself in front of Phil by saying something terrible? It's like, it's good for us to have people like Phil on. <laughs> yeah. I get the same vibe from Jeremy... Uh, I don't Swi know his last name. Swild World. Jeremy Swild World. Like, just so knowledgeable. Mm. Any hoops back to phil so obviously we we all know who you are we're well acquainted with your various animals but give us like the phil tour tell us a bit about yourself well the phil tour so i'm a, well, a uk zookeeper head of reptiles and inverts at uk zoo and i mean i've been keeping uh, exotic animals some with reptiles since i was seven so it's sort of over 20 years of keeping and breeding and uh, hobby has grown, turned my hobby into a job and then turned it into, well, trying to do social media awesome. <laughs> well, <laughs> just Does it feel like they've always been there then? Because that's a young age. Does it feel like there's always, there's never been a time when there wasn't like fabulous creatures around? No, I've basically had animals since I was very, very young. Brilliant. Stuff. Um, the reptiles, I started the reptiles, and that was me very much so when I was seven. But before then, had, you know, the family dog and hamsters, gerbils, that sort of stuff like mm. that. That never really interested me, but the rep, it was the reptiles first that really, really grabbed my attention. Um, and then just, yeah, carried on since. 
Because Phil yeah. told me the other day that was it you bred Mexican black king snakes at age ten? Around around ten years old, yeah. I was breeding Mexican black king snakes. They were my first ever snakes. I think I got the pair for like twenty quid. Wow! Oh you know, uh, I got it with birthday money uh, at a reptile <laughs> show back when there was more reptile shows in the UK, and there was mm -hmm. like one month just sort of reptile shows. And so, yeah, they wouldn't have been expected. There's like, you know, yeah, maybe 20, 30 quid for a young pair of Mexican Black Kings. And yeah, two years later, I was breeding them, sort of thing. That's and I mean, the baby, the hatchlings I was selling at like 20 quid each. Um, I just bought a juvenile MBK at Christmas and I thought he was cheap, but he was not 20 pounds. Uh, no, I bet he was much, much more. The twenty pounds from over twenty years ago, when mm. things were reasonable. <laughs> In the case of back then, Mexican black kings were very, very common. Everyone had mm. them, um, so there were just so many out there that yeah, they were they were they were cheap. I mean, I ended up selling the breeding female after I lost the male when she was probably about ten years old for about I don't know fifty quid. Wow. So, in your time, in as in the in the sort of hobby, have you noticed much of a change in popularity of breed or species of snake in in the pet community? Oh, everything really, um, everything goes as fashions change. You know, there is a with animals. Unfortunately, there is a fashion with some of them, and some of them become popular, and then they become less popular, and their price goes up and down depending on their popularity at the time. Um, okay. like hog snakes, um, they've gone up and down in popularity all the time. Um, so again, their prices, you know, dipped and you know, gone up and dipped at the times. Jumping spiders, and when I first was keeping jumping spiders and bringing jumping spiders, I mean, an adult would cost you maybe a tenner, wow. sort of thing. Yeah, I was right. selling jumping spider slings at you know, no more than five quid because that's all you could get for them, and now you're looking at sort of 15 to 20 pounds per sling, yeah. But that's that's with the rise of social media. Yeah, there's a lot more social media around around that sort of things, which has made them more and more popular. I was keeping and breeding them when no one wanted them. Oh my god, <laughs> and you would have had like hundreds as well. Yeah, yeah, literally, I think I had at one point over 200 jumping spiderlings and stuff. And even that fiver, you would struggle to sell them. Do you think there can be a, um, <laughs> a deliberate um, steering of what's popular? Do you, or is it is it organic? Do you think, or is it kind of like fashion, where one season uh, one designer might want there to be like the mini skirt in, say? So is it is it is was there breeders that were steering popularity towards something they wanted, or was it was it organic, or was it was it based on like what we what were the driving factors of what was popular? I mean, nowadays certainly social media, mm. um, you see that a lot more, and you know if someone's got. A decent following, and they've got a certain animal. You do see people that want that animal because, yeah, yeah. Got, you know, keeps that animal. Um, but when I was first, first time, you know, and even when I was first time, I would, you know, you'd get your influences by certain people in the hobby, you, you know, that would have certain animals, you'd like, oh, I want to emulate them and, and, and keep that. Um, so you know, it would kind of, yeah, every sort of year, there's sometimes we, you know. At the shows, more of one thing than than something else. Okay. Um, so some shows there'd be more in one year. Some years there'd be more hog noses than anything else. And hog noses, okay. they, they were the in thing. Um, and stuff. And then another year there'd be hardly any hog noses. 
Well, okay, so um, almost like if there was a glut of something that year, it would be naturally popular by default, default because that was what yeah. most people could buy. Yeah, mm. and you know, and if it was something that was deemed fairly new as well, or and so you know, whatever kind of marketing someone would put on it to try and make it, you know, sort of desirable, if you like, and stuff. But again, you know, again, we're going sort of back sort of twenty years or whatever. Everything was a lot cheaper. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so nowadays there's certainly I think yeah the, the social media sort of price hike on on things certainly and it's not to say that animals should be cheap um, it's a privilege to, to own them and it's sort of thing and sometimes they can be too cheap I think sometimes trying to get that, that fine balance I think sometimes some sometimes are being over that are sort of overcharged for them a little bit, and it's all like, oh, I don't think they're worth quite that much, but um, so, you know, some shouldn't be, you know, sometimes it's all like, well, yeah, when they look back and like, yeah, it only cost this much, you know, it only cost 20 quid to get a Mexican Black King saying maybe that was too cheap. Mm. Yeah, but, like not enough to take it seriously. That, that's it, that's it, when you get too cheap, and then sometimes you don't appreciate them as much, you know, well, some people might not. I'm thinking, oh, it only cost me this much, you know. Yeah. We touched on that with tarantulas a couple of um, episodes ago, where you can buy a tarantula for um, 10, 10, 5, 10, 15 pounds. You, where, you know, you, you're going to be almost in this very sad way. You, some people can be less dedicated to its care than if they paid 100, 200 pounds for it. And that's yeah, really unfortunate. It's great that they're so cheap, but unfortunately it, it does devalue their life in some way, which is really incredibly sad to some mm. people. Mm. Yeah, some people it will. You know, hopefully the, the majority it doesn't. No, I'm, I'm sure. Luckily, the vast majority, overwhelming majority, it doesn't. Mm. To them, it's just a joy to be able to own it so cheaply. And that's it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I love my you know my cheap salmon pinks as much as I love <laughs> my. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Yeah, I mean, that's a brilliant way to do it. Yeah, exactly I was going to say then the first tarantula went into my mind was an LP because they're like three pounds, aren't they? Uh, like a quid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, think, I, I think the big giveaway ones are ha have a couple of LPs for free, sort of thing. You know, bought a piece of bark, you get an LP. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. When I was at BTS, I think I got given two LPs by two different. But um, <clears throat> I was getting one of my friends bred LPs, and they they have quite big egg sucks, mm. and she couldn't mm. even sell it. They were like ten. She couldn't even get like ten p for them. Little side note: When you're talking mm. about shows and expense, about ten years ago, I went to Doncaster Reptile Show for the first yep. time. That was the only time I've ever been. I took, I think, a hundred quid with me, and at the time, mm -hmm. I had my my salmon boa, and I got a, a whole tank, decorations, substrate, food, plants. I got her entire brand new setup already for it for less than 100 i walked away with change <laughs> but this year i'm going again in june and i feel like that 100 pound budget i think i'm gonna have to at least triple it if i'm even gonna walk away with anything remotely worth it it depends on what you're after really this year's in milton Keynes. yeah so it's uh, come down my way <clears throat> that's also ain't far from me now the uh the ihs show that's nice so, Wait, yeah. so didn't it used to be in Milton? It's like it never yeah. been in Milton Keynes before. It was the last was one was. Somewhere. It used to be in Doncaster. It was in Doncaster for about 20 years, something like that. And That's then it moved to Manchester for a year, but the venue was not great. 
and there's a lot of issues <laughs> with, with that venue. Um, and this year, it, there's only two shows, and it's going to be Milton Keynes this year. Um, but it used to, I mean, years ago, there used to be reptile shows all over the country. And so, like, there used to be a lot of reptile uh, clubs and societies around the country. They would all host their own reptile show. I think some of them would be, you know, almost as big, if not bigger than what Doncaster was. Some of them would be smaller ones. Some, I think there was one that was like a two-day one. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, anyway, I mean, I'm going back to the 90s here, kind of thing, <laughs> um, before they all got closed down and it got very underground for a while. And so that was an interesting period. Yeah. <laughs> Being okay. escorted into uh, into shows by police and stuff. Um, <laughs> was part of the reason why Doncaster stopped, wasn't it? There was animal rights activists that put pressure on the venue. And I think the venue just said, like, we, we can't hold your event anymore. I think that's it, what's it, happened. It was on one of the, uh, something like the, the mayor's wife or stuff. And then, like, they basically thought, yeah, it was like, the local authority put them pressure on on the venue so the venue and the, the contract had ended then as well so there was like no breach of contract or anything from what i from what i heard and so venue kind of was kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place so the venue had no problem with it they yeah. really wanted to continue they got no problem but and they you can see from the venue's point of view they don't want to be given a hard time by their local authority yeah of course mm. Um, it is a one, but yeah, and unfortunately, that's why there's not that many shows now when it comes to reptiles. It's through animal rights, um, and there was a period of time where you wouldn't even you you wouldn't know when you'd know the date of a show, but you wouldn't know where a show would be until after six o'clock on the Friday just before the show. Nice, no way. So that it could not be cancelled. Okay. Mm. Like, anyone training would not know where it was going to be. No one. It was top. Wow. Top it was Even that. Un- it, went that, it went that underground at one point. Um, and stuff where you, again they're so frightened of it being cancelled and stuff, and there was lots of stuff going on that again, yeah, it would turn up and there would be protests out the, outside threatening you. Uh, that's crazy. Um, just just for selling like just, well, your produce at you? Keeping animals. <laughs> just for caring about do you know animals. What? <clears throat> do you know what? It's just reminded me, right? I met a woman a couple of weeks ago. How funny is this? So we were just chatting about ourselves and I mentioned that I keep reptiles and, and she was like, Oh no, no, you shouldn't keep animals in, in captivity. And I said, you know, Oh right, okay. Why, why do you feel like that? And she, you know, went off about, uh, you know, they, they're wild animals. They should live in the wild. And I was like, okay, fine. And then I found out that she has two dogs. <laughs> okay, of course, yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah. So, so I said Naturally. to her, I was like, but what? And I was like, but you just said you can't keep animals. And she was like, oh yeah, but they're domesticated. I was, I was like, they, they weren't put on earth domesticated. No, they have been domesticated. <laughs> They were wild at one point, my darling. (laughs) The hypocrisy is, like, ridiculous. Can you imagine Pudge in the wild? He wouldn't know what the fuck to do. (laughs) The last five minutes. You know, know, misinformation, miseducation, and, Mm. I mean, animal rights industry is very well funded. 
Mm. And it's very easy to make emotive videos and statements regarding animals. And it's far easier to make emotive against keeping and against all that than it is to make positive for it. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. People are much easier, you know, see an animal rights campaign and, and agree with it than mm. the opposite way. Mm. Because you make it black and white, you put a picture, you know, within the zoo industry, picture of an orangutan, it can't smile and stuff. It's impossible for an orangutan to smile. But they'll use an orangutan all the time and be like, look how sad it is. It's like, that's just its face. So <laughs> 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 you know, you have the same face. Sort of I never knew that. And then in most primates, you know, if they're smiling, they're, they're not happy. You know, a smile's not actually a happy thing. Yeah, so... I was at a zoo recently, I can't remember for the life of me where, um, oh, in, in West Wales, and um, one of the signs said, if I'm smiling at you, this is a sign of aggression. Yeah. Um, yeah and and it told you to, to, to back away from the glass, basically. If you go to a zoo, do not smile at primates because they're mm. going to get threatened by you. It's not a friendly gesture. It's only friendly in humans. Yeah. Yeah, mm. so and then this we, is why we, why we have. We often, think, we often think in human, we have human biases, we have and stuff. So we think we put our emotions onto animals, and we think animals are like Disney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thing, and they're not. Yeah. What we need from you, uh, Phil, if you would, is a list of ten things not to do if you get in cross, if you confront a wild animal on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> Just for everyone's safety. <laughs> well, I see. I see plenty of orangutans in Tesco on a Saturday morning. So. <laughs> I feel educated every time I speak to you, Phil. I swear to God, this yeah, is literally. why. Oh, yeah, all my questions seem really like thick now. Anyway, um, <laughs> on that subject, um, so obviously you've been, basically been around animals your whole life. Was there like a moment or a memory that sparked that passion for you, or do you just literally think you were born like it? So. It's probably when I was about two years old that <laughs> it all started. Mm -hmm. well, my mum bought me a, a VHS out of a bargain bin of Philip Schofield at Jersey Zoo. Oh, no way. Wow. I, I still have that VHS. Oh. <laughs> I can't watch it because I don't have a VHS player anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but you have it. <laughs> I still have it. I'm not getting rid of that thing. Of course not. Um, and it was out of date when I was it been costing like, you know, 50 pence or something. You know, it was, something, it was dirt, dirt cheap. It was literally, you know, in terms of like, you know what, that will keep me quiet while she's doing, you know, the cooking or whatever. Da, da, da. And it's certainly something that might be a bit educational and not, you know, not just rock my brain. Little did you know that was going to cost her a lot of money in the future. Literally. You know, um, cost a uh, trip to Jersey to go to Jersey Zoo. Wow. <laughs> um, me going, well, I want to be a zookeeper then from pretty much the age of two. I knew what I wanted to be, so, and because I mean, yeah, paying obviously, yeah, paying my college fees that I lived in at college, paying to go to various zoos, doing experiences at zoos, doing this, that, the other, um, so, so that kind of started my passion. I was a member of the Dodo Club of Jersey Zoo, um, so I was basically like, yeah, like a young member sort of thing, and we get like basically your own little newspaper with different articles in and stuff. Hmm. Um, about various conservation. So, you know, at a young age, I was, you know, scrolling up about plowshare tortoises and the, the plowshare tortoise and stuff and you know, learning all about that. 
and so um and they just yeah they they always supported me in that that sort of passion of yeah pursuing animal stuff and kind of fostered it um a member of the things like you know wildlife trust the young men you know the young sort of young bits and going out and doing you know building wildlife ponds or whatever and stuff and going on bug hunts with them and stuff which you know to this day i still like to go out on a bug hunt that's always great fun yeah. <laughs> and yeah just continued always going outside um as a member of you know still a member of the rspb would go with my dad on a weekend go bird watching and stuff oh, and just go out you know like especially like on a sunday or whatever like, like, like go on let's go let's go drive for an hour and then you know and go to, to some reserve and see what we can see and so so yeah always been passionate about it it's never gone anywhere and if anything it just increases every year <laughs> As I get sort of deeper and deeper and deeper into it, <clears throat> and through that, you know, managed, you know, still lots of stuff I want to do, but I managed to do some, some great things, uh, it, you know, in my time so far with it, with my career and stuff, and met some amazing people along the way and stuff. Um, and yeah, it's just continuing on. Mm. On a, in, a, in a sort of on a get to know Phil sort of question, um, does your passion for animals? And animal keeping does it leave any room in your life for a passion for anything non-animal related do you have other hobbies my other hobby though although i haven't done it in a long time just because i haven't got it here so got it but i don't have it here with me and it's in the in a special shed in my parents garden is drums so it's music ah, okay cool well, so, so i'm a drummer um i'm ex-world record holder for drumming Oh, okay. Well, well, I think, well I, think, I think we need to hear more about this. Okay. What record? Uh, I, me and seven others all at the same time drummed for 60 hours. Wow. Okay. Oh. Um, so all at the same time uh, and stuff. And you basically got a 15-minute break for every four hours you drummed. Wow. But you all had to be in time with each other. And so um had to play to recognizable songs so um and at no point was you allowed to go to sleep amazing sort of thing. And, like, no, and something like no more than like 30 seconds in between songs or whatever like, i mean i was still basically I, I carried on i think i was still drumming in my sleep afterwards mm. <laughs> so <laughs> by that point being a metal head and i was a metal you know metal drummer I was playing with double pedals and stuff, so I I could easily swap between my feet, so I could give you know, and my hands, so that I could give one a rest for a bit, but still carry on with the beat. Nice. Couldn't have just picked some like nice little slow jazz number with mm. just your brushes on a <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, had to do uh, fire and flames. Definitely <laughs> didn't do that. They all, they asked you know they said we could all submit songs in. I purposely didn't put any song in because I was like no because no one's gonna all the others weren't metal drummers so I was like they're uh -huh. not gonna know these songs and they're probably gonna be some of them potentially too difficult. Someone decided to put um, it was actually one of the tutors no yeah it's one one of the owners for me and one of the tutors decided to include Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> so mm. um, me and the tutor were like oh nice Rage yeah and then we went oh crap. Time signature changes. <laughs> it's like a simple song to play. Hmm. They played it once because we they everyone else got lost and like what what's happening? We're out of time here. We're like, yeah, don't, don't do that. Not don't worry. 
<laughs> uh, I'm in a musical at the moment, and there's one song that changes time signature three times on one page. Criminal. Keeps you what going. does that mean? Keeps you on your feet. So you know the beat of a song? Yeah. So there's different types. So like what like four four is your common one, two, three, four. Then you'll have mm -hmm. like three, four, which will be like one, two, three, one, two, three. This one goes between like five, eight and six, eight or something. Stupid, I can't remember. But it's horrible. Right, and it's like, it's like da, 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 da. And then it goes from constant to, oh, anyway, horrible. The real it's, difficulty, which I've never been, I haven't mastered, and it's been a while since I practiced it, but it's trying to, is doing like extreme polys um, where, you know, doing two different scientific signatures at the same time. Man. Uh, okay. So I was like, trying to do one time signature with your hands and one time signature with your feet. And it's like, that, that's, that's super difficult. I was, I was, I'd been brought up playing instruments and drums was just something like I could never ever do. I can do strings, piano, I can do wind, can't do brass and shit like that, but I, I could never ever get my legs to do something different to my hands. I can drive a car, but I can't play drums. When it comes to instruments, drums was definitely my forte. I always wanted drums, and again, my mum was like, "No, no, no, they're loud. You can learn play piano." <laughs> they regretted that because they they knew every time I went wrong, and I went wrong a lot. Whereas at least with drums, <laughs> if you go wrong, you mask up easily because you're like, "Yeah, I meant to hit that." Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't create some glaring, horrible note. <laughs> yeah, it really doesn't matter if you hit the wrong thing; it still sounds cool. Um, so before um, Fee gets us back onto the track of animals, just two drum-related <laughs> questions. Favourite drummer and favourite drum beat? Ooh. Ooh, that's a, a favourite drummer. That, that's almost Tricky. a difficult thing, your favourite individual animal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's a good one. Like... Uh, there's, there's so many so many drummers out of... Like, you know, I mean, the late Joey Jordanson was someone who really influenced me into metal drumming and stuff, certainly in the early days. But, you know, <clears throat> even like jazz drummers like Lloyd Ryan and stuff, you know, like, and he played on my kit once as well, which was amazing. That's cool. <laughs> so, cool. Um, so, but like, George Colias, absolutely insane drummer. So, um, yeah, there's just so many, so many great drummers out there. Bonham. <laughs> And stuff, mm. you know, Keith Moon, and so like throughout the throughout the years. Excellent. Mm. Nice. Uh, uh, oh, what about wait? What about the beat? Oh yeah, the drum beat. <sighs> I do love a good blast. <laughs> so would that mean just like thrashing around? Like, is that what? You but you, if you can get a real good blast going, there is just there's something satisfying. It's used a lot in black metal. Um, so it's basically very quick, just but also, <clears throat> I love doing you know, <clears throat> switching up to more sort of funky beats and stuff as well. You know, not just straight past that's that gets boring after a while, you gotta change up every now and then, put some other things in there. And the great that's the great thing about I find about male music, put, you can put any style into it and it'll work. Mm. <laughs> I love the guy who takes metal music and and reworks it into swing. Oh, uh, Richard Cheese. Yes. <laughs> so he did. My favourite one is um, "Get Down with the Sickness." 
you fuckers mm-hmm. get up, come on, get down with the sickness. <laughs> you know that's so good. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Any hoops. Um, Metallica had a new album out today, which I'm excited about, and no one else in my life, which is nice. And no one else here. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really want to ask the questions anymore. This is more entertaining to me. No, but, but it's a, I think it's genuinely a sort of an exotic animal podcast. We probably should get back on track. Probably. From track. Right, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Okay, so I've actually put in brackets on here because you actually taught me that what I thought a bioactive enclosure was. It's not actually a bioactive enclosure. It's a life planted enclosure. Bioactive, you told me, takes months, right? To yeah, I mean, I learned this from by like, listening to people like John Courtney Smith of Arcadia and stuff, where, you know, if you've got a small tank, chances, you know, potentially a small tank may never actually become truly bioactive. Mm. Kind of thing. And everyone kind of thinks it's become a buzzword. Um, you know, I do use it. And so I think, you know, at the end of the day, you know, people, people, you know, at least recognise the term bioactive. But to really be truly bioactive, you want, you know, ideally quite a large enclosure um, for whatever animal it is. And so, but it's not a case of simple as just chucking in some springtails and a couple of isopods. That mm, yeah, like if it. you've just got one pothos in the corner of a tank, it doesn't really count. Yeah, as... that's it. Yeah, yeah, on a, yeah, exactly. Put a pothos in. On you know one tub of swing tiles in and a tub of voice pods doesn't make it bioactive technically. Um, you got to sort of seed it. You got to um, so I mean John always re- he recommends like you know putting in like a tub of swing tiles in like every like few weeks until literally the substrate's crawling with swing tiles. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you know and you know that and leaving it for maybe six months or more. Kind of thing so, before so, the animal goes so, into, or, you know, at least a month to for the soil to cycle through, to go through the mold stage that they tend to get and stuff, and to kind of think of the soil as a filter of an aquarium. Hmm. Kind of thing, like you don't have an aquarium and just stick fish straight in it. We shouldn't hmm. do <laughs> normally. You want to allow that to cycle and stuff and build up the nitrogen cycle within the, uh, the soil and stuff. And so, for me, I don't call any of mine really bioactive hmm. like the one behind me with my mantis in that's not bioactive it's just got life plants in it yeah i see what you're saying so it needs like um basically to just create its own sort of ecosystem yeah yeah and it, and it takes time and it's you know it's looking at microorganisms as well and stuff like you know all that sort of things the bacteria levels of the soil and stuff and you know yes bioactive doesn't have to be necessarily complicated but I mean, what a lot of people tend to do, and what you see a lot of time online, really is just naturalistic life planted. Yeah. And not a truly bioactive uh, sort of setup. Um, Sort of thing. And I find sometimes a lot of people, especially more in the reptile world, sometimes they'll go, sort they'll hear bioactive, like, oh, clean up crew, they'll clean up everything. Therefore, I don't have to ever do any cleaning. Well, that's wrong. You still have to clean. Mm. Sort of thing. And do see a lot better that, you know, I'm going to go back to them. I'll never have to pick up the poo ever again. No, you do. <laughs> you definitely <laughs> do, yeah. Still spot clean. Because at the end, they don't want all, your, all the clean-up crew eating all of that anyway because they're going to defecate themselves. 
And if they're mm-hmm. in with something that's potentially going to eat them, do you really want your animal eating them if they're full of poo? Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always find it really funny when people have arid species. So they give it the substrate that it should have, even if it isn't live planted or whatever. So let's say like a soil sand mix or cork bark chips, whatever. And then they put an air plant in there and they're like, it's bioactive. <laughs> like it's, yeah. You've literally just thrown like mm. a Lego plant in there, basically. <laughs> like, fuck off. <laughs> there are people out there on you know on social media that do have you know what are probably legitimate bioactive enclosures you know and i mean you know and some people spend although some people perhaps even having them planted up and running for i think sometimes up to three years before they suck an animal in it wow (laughs) so i've got to really really get it settled in sometimes um There's a keeper we like. We don't actually know his name. Shueman thirty. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Do you know him? Shueman thirteen. Shueman thirteen. No. His his posts are instantly recognisable because it's just green. They are it's unbelievable. Just full green, yeah. Amazing. I'll send you his profile later. It's awesome. Yeah. To someone like uh, me, you know, not too much you because I'm not lumping you in my, my bad taste. Thank you. But um, <laughs> I look at those enclosures, I think, fucking hell, they're amazing. And they do look amazing, but mm. there's, there's gloss and then there's actual depth, isn't there? It's like... Yeah, there is. About, you know, at the end of the day, we all like the look of different things as well and stuff. And a lot of the time, when it comes to enclosures, it's uh, our own aesthetics sometimes. Mm. Yeah, like, yeah. The animal may not actually care what's yeah. actually looking like. And there's no point filling um, an enclosure up if the animal hates things in their enclosure. If they keep no, pulling if... things up and pushing them out and trying to get rid of them, there's no point in pulling them back in because yeah. it defeats the object yeah. of having a happy animal. Got specific. Yeah, right, right. The, the enclosure needs to be functional for the animal for, first. Yeah. You know, first, you know mm. it's got to be functional for them. And then, uh, you know, you can make it look nice for you, kind of thing, as mm. long as it's still functional for the animal. As mm. well. um, and, uh, and I mean... You know, the whole thing, a lot of people sometimes think that bioactive is like the gold standard of keeping, and it really isn't, because there's a lot of things that can go wrong, sort of thing. And, you know, actually, just say, you know, yes, put life plants in, put, you know, you clean up room, but don't expect them to do everything, Mm. sort of thing. And, you know, yes, sometimes the plants aren't going to survive, but that's fine, that's part of the fun, Mm. sort of thing. Um, But, you know, don't be so eager to plant it up and get the animal straight in there. Allow it to, you know, because it is going to probably mould up first. So allow it to go through that little cycle first. Mm. You know, see what plants actually work and what don't. I've got one planted up that's been planted for about, I don't know, three months now. They haven't put anything in yet. It's just plus plants. Mm. going to be mixed inverts, but I'm yet to even put ice pods in there. Not being just allowing it, the plants to settle in first and see what plants work and what doesn't work first before mm. actually then come in to put actually anything else in there. It's a good idea. Mm. Uh, Get a feel for it. See what see what would naturally go in there when you once it's sort of yeah. once it's working. Yeah. Yeah, because once once the plants are you know they grow once they're growing, and, you know, and perhaps even once I've you know had to perhaps trim a couple back, you know, once or twice, and then they're really really settled in and really starting to you know thrive. And then you're like right, this is a nice settled environment. So yeah, I can introduce an animal in, and then it hopefully won't throw it out too much. Yeah, yeah. When when because I've you guys have been thinking about getting frogs. I've been asking Phil fucking tons of questions. 
on Instagram and like one of said people, oh yeah, like, you know, I want to get frogs, like people in my family. And they're all like, oh, that's so cool. Like, I can't wait to see that. And I'm like, yeah, but you could be waiting a fucking long time before you ever even see a frog in the house because setting up the tank anyway is just going to be like just a really slow burn. When I bought the tank off the guy like down the road, he's like, oh, what are you putting in it? Frogs. Oh, cool. Send me a picture when it's done. I'm like, it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give me a year. That'll be, like, be like, give me a couple of years and then I'll send you a photo. <laughs> it's yeah. not even got a plant in it yet. It's not even got substrate. It's just empty because I'm just like, I feel like it's a really big commitment and I won't do it unless I'm going to put 100% into it. So the tank's just there at the minute. <laughs> yeah, no point rushing into it. No. Yeah. Why don't you do one clay ball a day? <laughs> yeah just like add little bits i've currently got like a frog sticker on it to like motivate me <laughs> oh my god you got the important stuff out the way then <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome um so do you do i mean i like i've never worked it so it would be amazing but do you um how do you go about building the enclosures in the zoo do you have like a favorite one you've ever made or how do you how do you go about it it varies from species to species, and yeah, um, probably my the, my favourite one currently that I've done is probably the dart frog enclosure. I um, It's changed a lot, you know, over its time. Again, you know, some work, some plants worked, and some didn't, and so that was the nature of it. Mm. So, um, but that's was it a nine hundred liter aquarium that we we converted into wow. a dart frog enclosure. Yeah, sort of thing. Um, and stuff, and you know, currently it's working a lot. And stuff again, it's just like because every spring tail sticking there gets eaten. <laughs> so, like, yeah, weekly adding spring tails into it. I can't even. You know, so many that even breeding them is not quite enough. I have to buy it, still buy them in and stuff. Wow, of them. that's impressive. A lot of frogs in there, and stuff as well as flooding it with fruit flies like three times a day. Yeah. So just to make sure that they've all got food. That's amazing. So, but you know, and, and it's just because it's such a large enclosure. Yeah. Um but say so that everyone that's you know, some of people's favourite ones when they come in into that building and, and see the frogs. Because they're they're they active, they're dying also they're always doing something. Mm. So they, they spot one and then they spot start spotting the others. Because mm. although they're brightly coloured and sometimes sit right front, right at the front, in the right in the open. People miss them sometimes. Yeah. So they actually get their eye in. It's quite impressive how it's um it's quite impressive how camouflage they are, but still how bright they are. It's crazy. Yeah, sometimes bright colours work. They work just as well at hiding as cryptic colours. I guess they're that colour yeah. for a reason. Mm. Well, yeah. Oh yeah, in the wild they are poisonous in the wild. Mm. Well, um, you know, they eat a toxic diet, which they then put those toxins into their skin. So it's all advertised in captivity. They're not because we feed them non-toxic things. Mm. So, but they still retain the colours. And so these are multiple generations kept in bread. So, but they're still just as brightly coloured. Which is cool when you think about it. Like, in, in theory, you sort of would have expected them to start to dull down after yeah. a while. Yeah, you, you would do. And, and, and with some frogs, I know with the, the golden mantellas, which are, you know, basically the Madagascan equivalent, but they're just not related. They're 
basically an example of convergent evolution. Um, one study was done on them between wild, captive in the UK, and captive in Madagascar. And they found actually the ones that were captive in Madagascar had dulled down in coloration. Uh, the ones mm -hmm. in the UK are, were, are, most of us are still a different colour to the ones in the wild. You've got a mantellas, we tend to see in the UK as orange, and in the wild they tend to be more red. And so we reckon that actually perhaps the wild ones are getting more carotenoids in their diet than what they're getting in the captivity. So a few places are experimenting with adding more carotenoids to the diet. Let's see if they can make them a bit redder. Sort of thing to make them more similar to the wild-looking wild ones. Um, but also found actually all three had different calls as well. So the ones in captivity mm. actually have developed essentially their own language. Wow. That's insane. <laughs> That's crazy. So, so, like, yeah, she played calls of captive ones from, you know, from UK zoos to ones in the wild. They didn't recognise it at all. They didn't respond to it amazing. whatsoever. And vice That's versa. So weird. Yeah. That is bizarre. What is there better than nature? Honestly, it's incredible. I always find it so insane when you get different behaviours in in the exact same species. Mm. Mm. I just think it's amazing. Oh, Leah thought of a good one, right? If you didn't work at the zoo and you could do anything else, what would it be? Oof. If it didn't work here... Uh, in, in the zoo industry as a nano keeper, I would either, I would either have my own shop potentially. Mm -hmm. So I did look down that route at one point, and um, before I got a job as a, as a zookeeper, um, so I've, or you know potentially I would have pursued music even more. So I think it'd either be animal related or, or music related, most probably. Yeah, they've been my my two main passions of my life. Nice, nice. I can very much relate to music, passionate music. I've got a really serious question now. Yeah. Um, that Leah asked. She said we have to include it. Um, <laughs> is it the one with the weight and the gravity behind it? The sort of, is it that question that's. I don't know whether Phil will answer it. Okay, well, let's hope. Let's hope he knows he's talking to people that respect him and, and people that. <laughs> He's among friends. He is among friends. Yeah. This is a safe space. Okay, Leah, do you want do you want to go ahead with this one? I I was just curious as to if you've ever considered dyeing your beard bright pink. It has been. There you go, Leah. You missed it, Leah. I missed last, it. Last year at Bloodstock Festival, we had Pink Day on Sunday, and my beard got dyed bright pink with pink glitter in it. There you go. Nice. See, see, you know what that was? That was six fucking cents. That, that was like, my brain knew it. Yeah. Your brain knew it. That's why you needed to ask. That's why I needed, yeah. We were connected. We're all connected. All right. So I'm just going to finish off this section then. Um, we like to ask our guests about a couple of memories that they might have. So, um, each question just requires one or two short memories. So, <clears throat> excuse me. What has been your happiest moment since you started keeping animals? And it's a time when you were completely content in a moment you had with your animals. Happiest moment with my animals. 
With my ones, personally, it'd either be uh, probably like any time I've bred something for the first time. Um, is isn't it? Is always up there. Um, even though, say, I mean, um, saving animals. So, um, saving like. A, once saved a grass snake that was tangled up in uh, in netting and remove all the netting from its teeth really? and stuff, and it just it just allowed me to do it without musking up or anything like that. It was just wow. new, like it's like it knew I was trying to help it, mm. kind of thing, and being able to then go and put that back into the wild. And so, so that's you know, quite a cracking memory. That that's one that stays always stays with me. Um. And then, uh, I mean, there's so many, you know, good moments and stuff. And the good moments always, they always trump the bad moments. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Sort of Both, whether it's personal animals or work animals. Yeah. Nice. I, I remember Chris from Scarno Exotics. I remember it stuck with me. His sea darlingy mature male was basically a moment from passing away. And he he was sat with this tarantula with the lid off because he didn't want the tarantula to die alone. And um, the sea darlingy came up out of its enclosure and Chris just put his hand out and he sat on his hand. And I think he passed away on his hand. And Chris just said it was just like a most amazing moment. And he said he said this thing. He said, nature understands your intent. Mm. Yeah. And... I mean, I'd agree with that. You know, I'm not, I don't consider myself like a spiritual person or anything like that. But I mean, at work, I, you know, I once held, held a tegu, you know, and it passed away. And I knew it was on this, you know, it was probably going and it passed away in my arms. Mm. I mean, I felt it, literally felt the life go out of it. Mm. Thing, and then just sat there for a while with it. It's, it's almost like the most, um, it's almost like the, the deepest connection that we all share is not wanting to die alone. No matter what species you yeah. are, it's like a sort of, mm. you know. Yeah, and it, it, mm. it, it really does. And I mean, you know, part of zookeeping, I thought we have to deal with animals passing away, and we have to deal with that sometimes, you know, a lot more than what we would like to. Mm. Some of us hit us more than we sometimes think they will and stuff, um, you know, and we, here we, we quite, certainly with some of the animals, where we, you know, it's almost quite a, a ritual kind of thing. So, like, um, with our old tigers that we used to have, when it came time to, they were being put down, we, we all got a few minutes to go in with, and I had to say, sort of goodbye to it. And yeah. stuff. That's and just have a couple of minutes with it. Mm. And stuff um, before the final injection was put in. And stuff. Mm. And, like, you know, and then their main keepers were there for that last bit. Mm -hmm. and things mm -hmm. to sort of say goodbye and so and things like that are important to do mm -hmm. you know and you know whether it be something like a tiger or, or a tarantula i do that to you know one of my if i have a tarantula or a squirrel or whatever in the sick insect that's why i say goodbye to it yeah mm -hmm. absolutely why does death I, sometimes why does sharing a death sometimes seem like such a privilege it's the final moment yeah, it's, like a, it's almost like an honor and a privilege isn't mm. it to share that i don't think Strange. It, i don't think it only extends though to like final moments i think like i've had moments with tarantulas like my t stormy whose fangs have snapped at the moment like i'm 
like not manhandling her, but I'm having to physically pick her up every three days to push food into her mouth parts. Not push it in, but you know, put it around there. And um, she doesn't kick or anything like that. And I, you know, I I don't know. And then there's been times when like maybe a snake needs a bit of help with some shed, and like there's no aggression, there's no, mm. and it's it's almost like they un- they understand yeah. what you're trying to do. And yeah. It's- yeah. Yeah. They learn that you're not trying to hurt. I mean, yeah, again, mm. remember, we used to have a boa constrictor that got managed to get an abscess in its mouth. And so we'd have to give it like a daily injection and also wash its mouth out with iodine. Wow. Sort of, you know, sort of nine foot boa is probably going to bite us doing this. Never mm. once, never even hissed. She would come out, you know, open its mouth, kind of, you know, with very little reluctance and the thing and allow us to do what we needed to do. Yeah. Kind of thing. Um, and there's not, you know, you could say there's not many animals that would necessarily do that, but a lot of animals do. Yeah. It is like you said, it's like something you said earlier on. It's like the understanding that you are trying to help. Yeah. It knows, it can exactly. feel that it's not right somehow, and it knows your intention is to help somehow as well. It's like, it's yeah. almost incomprehensible understanding of, of mm. how nature works in animals. It's, I can't get my head around it. Mm. A lot of time, I think it comes down to like our body language and mm. how we are. Yeah. And then, you know, we're, you know, kind of, you know, in a state of, you know, feeling empathy for that animal and, like, you know, and you're trying to be calm and trying to keep it calm, which actually does keep an animal calm because it's not getting sort of scared by you. You're giving off, yeah. you know, those, that sort of thing. And you, keep, you know, you're almost keeping yourself calm. Mm. Sort of that, that sort of works then towards the animal. It's a weird one, isn't it? Like, I, I suppose you, you'll get it because you, with your nine-foot boa, obviously that's not a a small snake to want to attempt to do something invasive with it. It's almost like your fear of, like, what could happen just it just disappears because of how much you want to help the animal. And I think... Mm. Um, do you yeah. ask a quick question, Phil, based on what we were just talking about? Um if an animal has lived in well-cared-for captivity all its life and it's never had to engage its defence or fight mechanism, does it? do you think it naturally calms it down and makes it easier to handle because it hasn't lived a life where it's, OK, is this a predator? You know, in the wild, maybe it would have confront animals or other creatures that are going to do it harm, whereas in mm-hmm. captivity it won't. Does, it, does that subside, in, do you think? Sometimes, but not completely go away like there's still a lot of innate behaviors um that we see yeah animals have you know multiple generations captive bred um also have innate defensive behaviors um mm. quite often um whether that be you know looking out for things flying above and kind of thing mm. you know that's where people sometimes go wrong i find with a lot of animals you know especially like snakes and stuff trying to pick them up and come down from from above yes. with the hand like yeah. that before you prefer to break kind of thing yeah, doing that yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and even okay, it's not going to recognise what a vertebrae is it ain't not going to agree what it is because it's never seen one in its life but it, it recognises that you know a hand coming it's down is hang on a minute that's something formidable we're big we're a big animal yeah. compared, compared to it so it's sort of like well, I need to defend myself somehow mm. so, so they, they still will and so you know it's normally that sort of from what I've seen on documentaries and things other people it's normally animals the only animals that kind of don't defend themselves against humans are 
ones that have never experienced humans. Mm. Yeah. Is it, yeah, wasn't there like a, I saw a documentary once about, um, I think it was like a, a very un, uncharted t- um, uh, Asian forest, and there yeah. was these amazingly cute little animals that had never seen a human and had no fear of them. Yeah, see, Baxter done a, f- a few of them and stuff. Mm. There was one where I think went to like Papua New Guinea, and they, you know, they're up this volcano, and they found this giant woolly rat that just came and like sat on the lap. And they're like, yes, ever since someone said doesn't yeah, yeah. doesn't realise that actually we're yeah. a threat. Yeah, when yeah. I was in college, one of my tutors was an RSPCA um, officer before she like taught the animal management um, classes that she taught. She did welfare, and um, she used to like work a lot with people in this um, like rehab center for wildlife, um, so like birds, foxes, you know, all that kind of that kind of thing. Um, they go to the center, and part of their job was to terrify the life out of the animals who were captive because the idea was because they're being nursed they don't want these wild animals to associate humans with like any kind of affection or like yeah so every now and then yeah exactly so they mm. every now and then they go up to the cage and just go like rah, rattle the cage like make loads of noise bang rash out at them so the animals cower mm. and think oh shit like you know, you're not a friend. Oh, so that, when they release them, that is like yeah. the epitome of be cruel to be kind, isn't it? I know who, um, in the States who does a lot with bears and stuff. And um, when they release bears, there's normally at least a couple of people with guns shooting guns up into the air to make just so the bear yeah, goes to like instill the fear. Yeah. Sort of thing. You know, and it's to protect the bear long term and the hope that the bear doesn't come back to, to anything human. Be like, mm. you know what, they've got these horrible things that make horrible big loud noises. It's mm. funny because when you said that thing about um about the little forest with the cute animals in it, my first thought was like I would have been there like run, run away. <laughs> Please don't come near us. It's no. not us, don't come near we us. We are the worst. Yeah. So, they, I mean, in terms of the only real animals that kind of, you know, won't necessarily defensive behaviours towards us are, are hand-reared. Mm. But then they, you know, they then sometimes think they're not the animal that they actually are sometimes. And, you know, <laughs> sometimes a hand-reared animal, depending on the animal, can be the most dangerous animal because it has no fear of you. Yeah, yeah, and you yeah. you don't you don't know about its defensive behaviour. It's around behavior. you all the time. It's got more opportunity to have that off day, like ball pythons, and they size you up when you're asleep. Yes, when they. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's surprising how often that's well, happened over the years. Exactly zero. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everyone that's never kept them had one do it. It's always someone's <laughs> fucking auntie or uncle yeah. or like cousin. <laughs> so funny. It's I I love snake myths my favorite uh, one is that like snakes don't climb so <laughs> there's so many i mean the, the one about yeah snakes size and you know sizing you up that's been going for well over 20 years oh yeah that's that's I a mean, long time i was hearing that when i was seven i was hearing that yeah, yeah <laughs> i remember i remember it was like one of the first things like negative things you hear about snakes isn't it like oh don't fall asleep with this like mm. like you would but I, it was so funny because I, I put my ball python, my little juvenile one, he got his first forefoot viv the other day and he went straight up the branch and he was investigating and 
and I put up a story that said, remember, guys, ball pythons don't climb. And someone was like, well, actually. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) who's never owned one in their entire life? I was like, this is literally a video of my ball python climbing. I don't need your Wikipedia page. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. There's one of those things that still to this day people will say that, yeah, royals don't climb. It's like, well, they do. And they're found in trees in the wild. And they, they love to do it. They will they, consistently do it. Papers about it. Yeah, I, I was reading one the other day. They 70, 76% of the snake, the ball pythons they viewed in the wild were found in trees. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, and it makes sense because like, they're they're away from predators. Yeah, they've got you know they've got. Sh- well, also, around I think especially for for male royals, about seventy percent of their diet is avian. Mm. The, the amount of time yeah. you see one like with its tail tip on a branch and it's curled around a, a bird is this all the time exactly. in the wild. Yeah, and like I said it, before, and that classic royal python that you hear in the middle of the night because they've climbed too far, didn't have anything to grab onto. Because Atom says all he ever hears all night when he stays up late is duff, 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 every time. Pudge, My... like, climbs up and falls over. <laughs> Latte loves the windscreen wipes, so he goes up. Oh, up, yeah, up. the windscreen wipes. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't learn every am I my, my female hog nose is really bad for it as well. She loves it. But I think she just does it to annoy me. Of course. But you know, I mean any of them, you give them something to climb on, they'll climb on it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. The thermostats no. stuck on the top. <laughs> give them something mm. to climb on, they'll climb on it. They love, yeah. love to climb. Mm. And even ones that are predominantly fossorial love to climb. Mm-hmm. I saw um, a picture of a wild sunbeam in a tree the other day, yeah. which is a fossorial snake. And they require like 100% humidity, something ridiculous that, 9800%. Just a fun fact on the side, and important. Yeah, they, but it was they, a tree. They require, yeah, huge, huge amounts of humidity. That's crazy. <laughs> Mad. Never get one. And they're, yeah, they're, they're not the easiest things to keep. No, my friend has got one, and she's got it's it's in a rub, but this rub is ginormous. But it's it, the easiest thing to keep the humidity in. She can't do it in an enclosure. She yeah, can't I get guess, the humidity yeah. to stay. Yeah, yeah. Mm, but yeah, I've never segueing seen it. on. Should we? Should we? <laughs> Let's stop the conversation about animals. Yeah. And. <laughs> No, I think I think Leah's got something well, she wants to tell us. No, before we take up Phil's entire evening on a Friday night when he's off work tomorrow. I don't think an evening chatting to Phil is enough, to be honest with you. No, it's well, not. Phil, um, I'm not apparently as the host, not allowed to ask you anything else. Yeah. Um, I, I, had, I had another question that had come to me, but break I, your rules. Break your rules. Yeah. Um, um, I have a question. I'm just going to jump in now. Going to be over it. Um. This is this is an interesting question I'd like to know, um, but it might be one you've been asked many times. Which animal or what animal have you never met that you really want to? Komodo dragon. Okay, brilliant. That's a fantastic. And like, I've seen komodos, you know, in other zoos, but always buying glass. Okay. Loved opportunity to to work with them to, you know, not necessarily be in the enclosure with them. No. <laughs> You, you can do that, and I've seen I've, I've known plenty of keepers that do. Um, you know, and it can be done safely with training and stuff. Um, and so you know, but you know that 
it's not a case of like, oh, I want to be in there and I want to be able to touch one, but just to be, you know, to experience working with one or, you know, at least be just between, you know, just a mesh in between me and them being in the same airspace. Mm. Yeah. Would be amazing. Excellent. But, you know, again, there's, there's just so, there's so many animals out there that mm. I would love to, love to be, you know, share the same airspace with or be able to get to work with. And I've worked with some amazing animals in my time, you know, not just mm. reptiles and inverts. I've worked with red pandas. That was amazing. Red pandas? Yeah. Oh, my God. I oh, my so, God. They're, they're, you know, it's not, it's not just, you know, reptiles. I do like cute cuddly things as well. And, you know, getting your, getting your nose bopped by the nose of a red panda is something special. Oh, my God. That's I want to be Phil. I've ever heard. Yeah, that's... Phil is living my dream videos. <laughs> and they are as soft as they look. Oh, oh, stop it. Red pandas are almost like little... And their, their paws little are incredibly animals. soft as well because they've got fully furred paws. They don't have paws. It's all fur. And it's very, very <gasps> soft fur on the paws. So when they grab your hand, it's just soft. Oh, when my they grab God. Your hand. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Amazing. Oh, they're, they're a bit heavy when they start climbing up your leg. And then you're like, can you not climb up my leg? <laughs> <laughs> climb up my leg forever. <laughs> Oh. Awesome. Thank you, Phil. Um, so as always, we have I'm gonna do I'm not even gonna call it shitty thing of the week. This is just diabolical. Uh if you are uh on Instagram or any other social media really, but I've seen it predominantly on Instagram or in the state of Florida, you will have heard this week about uh now I believe it's been coined the Holy Thursday Massacre, but it basically happened a week ago yesterday. Um, and uh, the Florida Fish Wildlife Conservation Commission went into a um, facility in Florida that was owned by Brian McAdam and Chris Coffey. Uh, they had 35 um, Burmese, it was a mixture of Burmese and reticulated pythons, and they also had two um, boa constrictors in the facility. The FWC went in and killed all of them um, by a via. Uh, I'm not quite sure what the thing is, but it was a bolt directly to the brain. Um, and this was all of the snakes. So the context of this, what led up to this was essentially a legislation change in the state of Florida that um, meant that you couldn't keep um, large snakes anymore, berms or retics. Um, so the FWC asked Chris Coffey to rehome his large snakes. I think he had 150, I think that's 152, and he rehomed all of them bar 35. And so he, the FWC came to his facility, arrested him, uh, and then released him and basically said, okay, well, if we can see how much work you've done, this is after he'd been arrested, mind, we can see how much work you've done, why don't you apply to have these 35 grandfathered because you owned them before the legislation changed? So he said, okay, I'll do that. He did that. Um, they were protected and exempt from the legislation. The FC FWC came back. They took a stock take of the animals that he had. They arrested him again. Um, and 
and they basically said they would be investigating him. Now, during that last period and the Thursday, the 6th of April, I believe it was, what happened was they said, um, you can't move the snakes. You cannot rehome them outside of Florida. You cannot euthanize them. Um, basically, you've just got to leave them exactly where they are. Can't do anything with them. So Brian and Chris have basically been in this state of waiting. So the FWC, the FWC came back on the 6th of April um, with no warning. They just turned up at the facility and um, had a, some sort of warrant to, to enter. Um, Chris initially tried to stop them from entering. They said, right, this is what's going to happen. Your snakes are being euthanized today. You can either get arrested and they will be euthanized or we'll come in and euthanize them. So at this point, Chris felt his hands were tied. I think Brian was there. Yeah, Brian was there as well. Chris couldn't be in the room, so he left after pointing out uh, one of his boa constrictors called Big Shale. She was the boa that's been all over the news um, that was incorrectly euthanized by the FWC. She was gravid with 32 healthy babies. Um, Chris left the room. Brian was in the room and he decided to record, despite the fact the FWC told him that he wasn't allowed to record them doing what they were doing. He caught on camera them obviously euthanizing everything, a single Burmese python, every single retic that they had. Um, the FWC officer who was actually in charge of setting the bolt gun off was seen laughing and finding it all very amusing while stood over these dead animals that some of them were twitching. They then took Big Shill out of her enclosure, killed her, and then realized what they'd done. Boa constrictors are a completely legal animal to own in the state of Florida. She'd also been pointed out to them numerous occasions by both Brian and Chris. Big Shale was actually bred by Chris um, and he'd raised her from an egg. She was 10 years old. Um, and like I said, gravid with 32 babies. Um, so this awful thing happened uh, Brian and Chris were then left to. If you, I don't, I don't regularly encourage people to go and like watch stuff like this. I personally wish I'd never seen it, um, but there is blood everywhere. I can't watch. That. I can't. I can't. That's too upsetting. I, I, yeah. I won't get over that. I, that. I won't. I won't be comfortable at all for days and days um, if I saw that. Even hearing about it, it's horrible. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Um, no, it's got to be said. So, so this, this awful tragedy happened. The owners had complied at every step with the commission, um, had done, had, had not moved the snakes. They, they weren't allowed to, to peacefully euthanize them. Like he said, you know, can I take them, you know, to be put to sleep? No, you'll be arrested. But they were allowed to do this. Um, they're saying this was the most humane way to do it, but um, on more than one snake, the bolt was actually had to use twice because the officers missed the correct place. Anyway, so these are people that at no point um, 
try to assist in keeping these animals alive. They call themselves a conservation commission, but there was at no point any type of conservation towards these animals. The legislation was changed because large snakes were supposedly devastating natural wildlife. Um, and, you know, obviously, if you're going to if you're going to release that type of snake into wild, you need to be held personally accountable for that. But these were snakes that were in a secure facility in lovely enclosures held by keepers that loved them. Mm. Um, and there and so US Ark Florida are now raising money to sue the FWC for massive overreach in their um I don't know that like their state mission statement, I guess. The the leader of the FWC said that the legislation change would not apply to pets. And when the legislation came in, Chris and Brian halted all breeding and they decided to keep those boas as uh, sorry, um, pythons as pets. So basically these animals were killed for no reason um, other than the FWC just wanted to make a um, make a point, I suppose. Um, it's also a massive overreach because they're in their, um, I don't know, guess like terms of business or whatever, they are allowed to euthanize wild pythons. It doesn't say they're allowed to euthanize pet pythons. So it's just all horrible. All of it is just disgraceful. Mm. The videos are just... Uh, the worst um and i just i i have a small platform but i feel like i just this just feels so wrong mm. and i i just think it's important that like it's just it doesn't go quiet yeah i yeah it's a lot of small platforms make one big voice and i think that's what should happen um if, if if somebody's in a position, whatever position, to be able to speak up and say this has happened, we don't we don't agree with it, we don't appreciate it, we don't it shouldn't have happened. There's nothing about this has been right. Then I think if you have the opportunity to, then please do. You know, it's um, you know, it's it, it shouldn't go. It shouldn't be forgotten, and it, sh and it shouldn't go unnoticed. Yeah. And the, and the horrible, despicable man that was smiling and laughing, that was the most. That was the most infuriating picture i think i've ever seen um just him stood there with that big smirk on his face like he was so happy with what he'd done the, the murder that he'd just committed it was just oh it was vile absolutely vile and also they when they killed the boa it was about halfway through them making their way through the pythons and they decide on the video you see them reacting and they're both like oh my god oh my god like they fuck they know they fucked up but they're silent and they wait until the end to tell the owner because they know if they told him when they did it he would have gone fucking meant which he did quite rightfully go mental um and and he probably would have stopped them from doing what they were doing mm. it, just, it makes it just, it makes it devious there's just no words to possibly. <laughs> what disgusts me as well is like, if you're someone who is charged with euthanizing animals, 
you should be able to identify them. I mean, I don't know much about large snakes at all, but I, I could identify a, a berm, a retic, and a boa. Mm -hmm. You can't have the power to take and away life. And that's not your job. That was, that was their job to know this. So they, they would just go in, one, two, three. Like, it was almost like, how fast can we do this? Oh, yeah, it's disgusting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen the video, and yeah, nothing about that video is is right. Mm -hmm. um, it's not the correct way. Oh, I've been there for euthanasia of large snakes. That was not euthanasia. That was killing. Yeah. And so, um, so like, really, should define euthanasia is relieving of suffering. And if those animals weren't suffering in any way, it's not euthanasia, no matter what you say. And so mm. it is just kidding. It was a call. And it, it was not done in the correct way at all. Um, and so I've been there, I've had to endure a lot of snakes be um, put down before. And so because of disease risk. Yeah. So, and it's never nice. And, you know, I've never seen anyone that's had to deal with, whether it be euthanasia or putting down, whatever you want to call it, smile whilst doing it. Mm. No one, you know, no, no one, no one does that. You know, we've had equines that have, you know, at the part that have had to be put down, and yes, that's done with a bolt gun. And so, but the person doing it is never smiling, and no. never smiling. No. That sort of that's thing. There's sick. no, there's no point that that, but that they don't want to do that. And but that <laughs> their job, and they take it seriously, and they're, you know, and it's very, they're somber about it themselves, mm. even if they've never. That's the first time they've met that animal. Mm. They're still, you know, they're even like apologising to us that they're having to do it. And it wasn't, mm. it wasn't a nervous smile. It wasn't like, it wasn't like a. No, it, wasn't like a smile. Smile. it was glee. It was absolutely. You could see that that yeah. person was having fun. Yeah. It was the same type of smile you see. You know, when you see people like they they've like taken down a lion on a hunt oh, or yeah. a rhino or something uh, that sort of thing like yeah i've taken this down i'm um, you know i'm the big man and it's like <clears throat> no you're not no you're not it was, you're it, was the same, it was the same sort of <laughs> smile that normal people display when they're looking at that animal alive it was fucking horrible uh, yeah. and yeah you know and it's the thing <clears throat> those people because i don't know the opinions now but those people have been complying with the legislation throughout there was no reason to do anything like that you know, mm -hmm. we, at Women's Zoos, we have animals that are now illegal within the UK, but we are allowed to keep them as long as we don't breed them. Yeah. You know, and if mm. we have to move them anywhere, we have to get special licenses from DEFRA and stuff, and there's processes so that, you know, there's no reason, you know, we've got koatis, they've been banned now, but there's processes that they're grandfathered in, they're allowed yeah. to live. You know, if they were to get out, and then that's a different, you know, they are unfortunately they, they're not out in and things so we have to make sure that they're never ever going to get out of that enclosure and that's mm -hmm. our job that's our job anyway mm -hmm. um you know that was our job before uh, legislation change so, but we have a duty of care to those animals still to live out their natural life and they, yeah. those animals should have been allowed to live out their natural life mm -hmm. um and if you know they had decided that actually no there's a much better way, a much more humane way of dealing with that, both for the animals and for the keepers. Mm. Mm. And so, you know, it still wouldn't have been a nice thing for the keepers if you know they had come down like, 
we're going to have to do this. But the correct way for a large, well, any large reptile is one injection first to put actually anesthetize it. So we then you give the lethal injection and then you piff. Yeah. Um, um, which is what the bolt, bolt is. So in the case of large snakes, it's normally removing the head. Hmm. Unfortunately, right. which is not nice, but it's, it's but that's instant. done after the vet, and the vet is like basically 100% sure that the snake's already dead, it's already gone. Mm. They do it just to make doubly sure, sort yeah. of thing. And that's mm. practice, not going straight in with a bolt and do it twice. No, that's mm. that's if causes then severe pain first, and then gone in for another one. A part of me feels like these guys. Like, obviously, they must have had some sort of permission to do this, but I feel like it it wasn't controlled. It was like maybe someone made a decision like, okay, you're just going to go and kill all these snakes. Off you go. Don't care how you do it. Don't care when you do it. Just go. But, well, they, yeah, they came without warning. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So but I feel um, like someone higher up should have known. Well, this is, this is what's happening now. So... Um, US Arc are raising money to sue um and obviously garner full investigation. The right, governor so. the governor is Ron DeSantis and apparently his office met on Monday or Tuesday, but they haven't released any sort of statement, anything at all. Like no one's expecting them to have done a full investigation by now. It's only been a week. But something, and I, I think part of it is they're expecting us to not give up, to give up. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, and we're not. And the worst thing is, they don't even, they don't even have to pay attention to us. We're not we're not constituents. We're not voters. If they want to ignore everything everybody from the UK is saying, they can do because it's like that. We can't vote them out. We can't do anything. It's like, but the thing is, what we're doing is what we can do is keep it active, keep it alive to say, this is this happens. And if we can remind, if 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 someone from a UK Instagram account can make someone aware that is going to make a difference, or remind someone that it happened and say this still isn't right, then you know that's that's kind of our part part that we can play in this community. Yeah, hundred percent. Like I I know fully. Like my email. He could put that in his bin because I mean nothing to mm. that guy. I don't, you know, I'm, I don't mean anything to him. But yeah, what if we help? And I, I suppose, like, just I'm not gonna, no. Anyway, so yeah, um, that's my thing. I'd like to highlight this week, I suppose, um, mm. because I think it. Even if you don't keep snakes, if you're scared of snakes, you don't. You think they're awful, whatever. I d- I don't understand how you can have compassion for animals that you do like and not for ones that you don't like. They're still yeah. You can't condone. No one can justifiably condone uh, a government official taking joy in killing an animal, no. taking joy in killing a pet. That's that's unconscionable. There's no way that can be justified. It's it's. Mm. No it was can, a slaughter yeah. for yeah. no reason. Yeah. You can't mm. even name it anything else. A murder, a slaughter, a just fucking... And, and that's probably why they didn't want him filming it as well, because actually, you know, you yeah. really should be happy to, if he was going in there to do something like that, 
one, you should be actually happy to be filmed and be like, we have nothing to hide. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, mm. it had to be done secretly. And it's a good job that he, you know, did think about him, did film it. Yeah. Because mm. yeah. I was like, no, 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 you were just in, no, 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 they're making that up. But mm. you can see quite clearly, no. That's up. But, you know, if they had actually gone, yep, yeah, film it and stuff, it probably would have been very, very different if they mm. knew that they were on mm. camera. Mm. Yeah, there wouldn't be any of this if it hadn't been filmed. If that, if yeah. it hadn't been, if the guy hadn't have taken that brave step of filming when he shouldn't have been, then, then we wouldn't be here talking about it now, I don't think. Yeah, so mm. they, you know, they went in there knowing full well that, or probably knowing full well that what they were doing was not mm. on. Mm. Yeah. Not the right thing to do. So, because otherwise, they would have been more than happy to have been filmed. Mm. Yeah, if if they felt true, yeah, you were right. If they felt mm. truly what they were doing was a good thing, yeah, and they would have had receipts and paperwork to happily and show. The, Look, this is why I'm here. Make sure that there was a vet on site to for the vet to do. Yeah, actual, you know, put them to sleep. Yeah, none of it was right. Nothing about it was justifiable. Yeah. So I mean, it's nothing. Nothing can really end the episode on a great. A great high but what i want to yeah. um i suppose in in place of our keeper of the week i want to um i don't want to thank people because i'm not the spokesperson for this event by any means but i want to yeah i would just want to thank anyone that's like shared things made things joined the us arc um done anything to get this wider because the media have started catching hold of it now um, and not just in florida state it's gone outside of florida now they're also they've also got a gofundme page um to help chris and brian get legal representation to uh sue the fwc what i want to do is i just want to encourage anyone to go onto the us arc florida page they've got um there's information on there that you can read without having to view the more um uh like gory shocking stuff and you can help to support you can even if you you know i joined us arc but i joined for seven dollars because you girls you know skin this month for like less like every single pound dollar that you can give is is that much closer to being able to get these animals some sort of um justice, justice. i suppose yeah. But yeah, like I said, on that page, there there is access to the videos and the pictures of, of what happened. But there is also a lot of stuff and information on there if you don't want to see that thing, that type of thing. So yeah, spread the news. I really feel like it's important for us to not let this wash over and not let it become a precedent for things in the future. So, I, I mean, there is no sort of way that I can end this podcast now with it being, like, super great. Um, I just want to encourage everyone to get involved. But um, thank you to Phil so much for coming on and chatting animals and drumming and time signatures. Yes, genuinely, thank you, Phil. It's been <laughs> thank you, Phil. I rarely get to talk time signatures. It's very exciting for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Disappointed we had a whole conversation about time signatures and drumming, and Dave Brubeck and Joe Morello were never mentioned once. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just like, no, but oh well, you know, Lovely. it was. I wasn't talking about what I was passionate about, so you know, everyone's different. Well, so yeah, thank you, Phil. It's genuinely a genuine pleasure. Um, uh, no, no. 
would you like to say goodbyes? Um, I want to say goodbye, but I don't because you keep telling me what to do. Thank you, everyone, for listening this week. Um, and oh, I'm fucking shit at goodbyes. Well, yeah, that's why. Have I, a good that's one. Why I, that's why I was starting to help, but you were like, you didn't help mm-hmm. though. You went, you gonna say goodbye? I didn't actually say that. I said that you gonna say goodbye. Probably <laughs> fucking help. There's no helping some people. <laughs> Right. Who wants to say goodbye first? Richard. Yeah, fuck. Nice. Leah. Bye. Phil. This is the way. Goodbye. This is the way. <laughs> goodbye. Bye. Bye.